welcome to Understanding the Law. I'm your host, Peter Lamont. I'm a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast where we discuss a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. Well, we've spent the last three weeks discussing a special topic um, about back-to-school, and it included bullying, negligent supervision. We had a guest on who talked about her own personal tragedy, um, but we're going to move past the back-to-school episodes since we're well underway and, and approaching October, and we're going to get back to our weekly updates, and we're going to talk about a variety of topics, some legal developments, and some other issues. Now, if you want to discuss any of the topics that we are going to be addressing today, or if you have any other questions that you'd like to raise on the air, please call into our switchboard. The number is 347 855 so we encourage you to call. We can talk uh, on the air and uh, discuss the topics or whatever else you want to talk about. All right, so let's talk about um, what's happened recently in uh, Seaside, New Jersey. It's attracted national attention since last year because of Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy uh, and its devastating effect on that community. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Seaside is a very popular New Jersey um, destination. It's been around forever. Uh, I remember stories of my father going down there, his father going down. It's a boardwalk area, and it's a lot of uh, small businesses. They own candy stores and game stands, and so it's not uh, an overly wealthy community. And last year with Superstorm Sandy, uh, it devastated the entire region. And all of those businesses that were down there, the ones that had insurance, the ones that were able to um, recover financially, they're still around. But many of them, because they were small businesses, they were mom and pop shops, they didn't have the proper insurance coverage. And as a result, they went out of business. Uh, some of these people who didn't have insurance managed to get enough money from donations and contributions and grants to at least stay in business. And they opened up last, uh, last uh, spring and they were, you know, on their way to a, a better season, obviously, until the fire that occurred down in the, the fun town pier area a couple weeks ago. And those people down there have lost everything. Their businesses have been just devastated. And what I want to talk about is, the importance of analyzing your insurance coverage and making sure that if you're a small business owner, you know exactly what you need to have, what you should have. The problem uh, with insurance is that people tend to take a risk and, and will decide for financial reasons that they don't need to spend the money on that premium every month or every quarter. They're going to just roll the dice and it's a very, very dangerous approach regardless of how big or small you are, if you find the right broker and you get the right coverage for you, in the long run, when tragedies like Seaside happen, you're not going to go out of business. You're going to be able to come back. 
So I want to talk about a, spe a specific type of coverage, and it is called business interruption coverage. Now, the idea behind a business interruption coverage policy um, is essentially that if your business sustains property damage, your coverage for business interruption may be triggered and it will provide for payment of monies that you lost, which you would have made had you been in business. It will help you with employment, uh, paying for your employees, your payroll, and it's really a saving grace. But a lot of people have a misconception as to what it is and how you get it. A lot of people believe that it's a separate piece of insurance that you add on to your existing policy. And that's not 100% wrong, but the way that people think of it as a separate policy is. It's actually an add-on to your general liability policy. So first off, as business owners, you need, regardless of the size of your business, you, you do need to have some sort of general commercial liability policy. For people on the boardwalk, for example, you have customers walking in and out up to your stand store on a daily basis, and liability is absolutely a risk because people could trip and fall, people could get injured, uh, and they'll be suing you as the business owner, and you definitely need to have that general liability insurance. It's relatively affordable. And it's something that people, I think, in the, off the top of their head say, I don't want to pay that. But look into it. You need it. Now, for those businesses, such as people down in Seaside, you need to consider adding on to your policy a business interruption um, provision. You go to your broker. You tell him what you do, what you need. You explain that if there's a natural disaster or another uh, incident that causes damage to your property that you need to be able to cover your payroll, cover your expenses, and ask them about the options of a business interruption add-on to your policy. Now, the way business interruption works is that you need to have physical damage to the property. And that physical damage has to cause a shutdown. So, for example, um, we had a commercial client who had a showroom in lower Manhattan and there was flooding from a burst pipe above and it leaked down into their showroom. It caused significant damage, but you know, so much damage that the showroom had to be shut down. It was unsafe to have people in. You just couldn't operate. They had a business interruption clause uh, or addendum to their policy and it really kept them afloat while the place was being renovated for six months. Now, with all insurance, while it's there to protect you, the job of the insurance company is to save money. So if they can avoid paying out on a claim, they will. So that's why it's important if you do suffer a loss and you do have a policy of insurance that you reach out to an attorney um, or through your broker to try to help you negotiate with your own insurance company. They're not going to hand you money simply because you pay your premium. They're going to look for ways to avoid paying you. And a lot of times I, I see people that go to these public adjusters and uh, these public adjusters are offering to help you settle your claim, 
but they want to take 35, 40, 45% of what you're going to recover. And when you're a small business and you need all that money to build your business back, um, it makes no sense to hire an adjuster who's going to take a huge chunk. So you can look for an attorney, you can look for your, you know, your broker to help you. Uh, but my point is that you should not go it alone when there's a, a major amount of money at stake. And major amount of money may be one thing to one business and something else to a larger business. But don't go it alone. So what I recommend is that you analyze your insurance coverage on an annual basis or after a natural disaster. Uh, you should look and see what your limits are. You should see if you have or need a business interruption policy. And you need to speak to your broker and tell them exactly what you want to accomplish and then double check that. You know, it's not going to cost much money. And they even have free programs through some of the, um, um, you know, legal offices and legal services in, in your county. Get an attorney to just look at what your policy says and does. You know, it might, it might take an hour or half an hour. It might cost you nothing or you know, $200, but it's well worth it to have somebody look at your policy for you and help you because a broker wants you to buy whatever they think they're going to generate revenue from. And the insurance company wants you to pay the premium and then they fight you for the payout. So you do need somebody on your side. I suggest that it's an attorney. Like I said, it could be a free service offered by your county or a private attorney. The key here is that if you own a business, you need to have insurance. You need to analyze that insurance on a regular basis, and business interruption is something that you should seriously consider adding. It is not all that much more expensive. It's not going to increase your premium rate drastically where you can't afford it, but it is sometimes the difference between staying in business and closing up your doors and telling your family that you know you don't have enough money to send your kids to school or buy food or, or carry on. So uh, it's something that's very important. I think that every business should look into it. Uh, now I want to talk about another topic that is relevant to this time of year, and that is home inspectors. The housing market throughout the uh, country has picked up a bit, and we see here in the Northeast that uh, the amount of, of homes up for sale and the sale of houses has, has really risen. Um, maybe not back to the level that it was a few years ago, but it's really coming back to life. And the fall and the spring happen to be some of the most popular times for people to sell and buy properties. There are a lot of first-time home buyers out there, and uh, what is really important to understand is the need for a qualified home inspector. So I want to talk a little bit about what a home inspector is why you need it and want to share a story with you about a client that we had who um, who had a very, very scary incident um, with respect to hiring a home inspector. So is it necessary to hire a home inspector and what is one? Well, a home inspector is a individual who is licensed and his job is to inspect the premises, the home, the interior, the exterior. He is is really an advocate on your behalf. When you see a property that you're interested in purchasing and you hire a home inspector, that home inspector is there for you, not for anyone else. 
the home inspector should go into the property, look at everything from the structural integrity of the property, the electrical systems, the plumbing, um, appliances, how the, how the house is heated, how it's cooled, and let you know about pitfalls. They do radon testing. They look for termites and insect damage and infestation. And it is your first line of defense, you know, let, let's say, uh, when purchasing a home. Because when you sign your contract for the purchase of the home, there is generally a contingency clause in that contract that says, if there are issues identified in a home inspection report that cause the house to need major work or you know, problems that you just don't want to deal with, you can get out of the contract. Once your home inspection is completed and you move forward, it's very difficult to get out of the deal. So having a qualified home inspector is important. There are a lot of people out there who believe, because they were in the construction field or engineering field, that they are competent, qualified home inspectors. And it is not the case. Each state has different regulations concerning home inspectors. In New Jersey, for example, you need to be licensed with the Department of Consumer Affairs and you need to maintain and file proof of $500,000 worth of insurance to cover negligence in the event that you make a mistake. Look at your state's regulations. Find out what they require. When you hire a home inspector, you need to ask that home inspector if he is licensed and what his qualifications are. You're hiring this person and you're going to be paying them for a report. You have the right to ask them for their qualifications. And if you don't feel comfortable with somebody, don't hire them. A lot of times the way that, that brokers work with home inspectors is they tell first-time home, home buyers, we've got a guy that you can use or, yeah, just hire anybody. They're going to do the inspection. And there's not a lot of emphasis put on it because, let's face it, your broker wants the sale to go through so they can get their commission. Home inspector should be looking out for you. If it is a home inspector that is closely tied with the broker and gets a lot of referral work from the broker, you might want to think twice or at the very least make sure that they have all of the proper licensing. Most often you can go on to your state Department of Consumer Affairs website and plug in the inspector and see if he's licensed and if his license is active. It's something that will take a few minutes, but it can save you a lot of money. So not only do I encourage you to do it, but I implore you, if you are a first-time home buyer or, you know, second or third-time home buyer, don't ignore the importance of the home inspector. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about a client who hired a home inspector. The home inspector seemed to be completely legitimate. He was an engineer who had done a lot of commercial inspections and had a very, very solid resume, um, met with the first-time homebuyers, very competent, explained that he'd be able to identify all of the issues. They didn't check to see if he was active or licensed. They were um, referred this individual by their broker, and he seemed like a great guy, very, very knowledgeable. So he went out to do the inspection, and he spent roughly... Yeah, two hours. And um, 
Interestingly enough, he was dressed in khaki pants with loafers and a button-down shirt. He had a handful of tools, a screwdriver, um, an electrical tester, the current tester, and a flashlight. And it looked to the home buyers as though he knew what he was doing. He started on the exterior. He made notes. He took pictures, worked his way to the inside. Two hours later, he concluded, and he told them that he didn't see anything that was alarming. He'd write a report, and we'd, you know, the home buyers would be able to gauge whether or not they wanted to move forward. So sure enough, he writes the report. The report comes back and, and identifies minor issues such as the dishwasher needs to be replaced and the stove has a burner that's not working and there's only uh, cold water in the basement bathroom, not hot water. Concludes his report with a statement that says he believes that the home is in good condition and that it's appropriate and, um, and exactly what the home buyers are looking for. So they go forward with the transaction, they buy the property, and they start making some renovations in the house. And the um, the, the man, it's a husband and wife uh, that purchased the home. The husband is swapping out an electrical outlet. He's changing a light in the ceiling. And he can't figure out how to connect the lights because the wires are different than those that come with the new ceiling light that he purchased. So they called an electrician. And the electrician said, whoa, you've got something called knob and tube lighting. Uh, these are old 1900, 1920 um, lighting or wiring applications. There's no ground wire. It's extremely dangerous. The wires are covered in a cloth sheathing, and it's possible for them to become brittle, snap, and cause a fire. So the electrician went into the attic and saw that the prior homeowners had spliced all of this old knob and tube lighting with some new Romex cabling, and that it was a major, major fire hazard. In the course of doing that, the electrician went into the basement to see where the panel was wired or how it was wired and identified what appeared to him to be asbestos on the ceiling pipes. So the homeowners decided that they were going to call a new home inspector to look into it somebody that they chose, they researched. And the home inspector produced a new report and identified the existence of not only knob and tube lighting, but an underground uh, oil tank, identified issues with the foundation, issues with the plumbing system, and asbestos in the basement. Uh, the couple had just had a baby, and so it was you know, a concern of theirs that their child is going to be exposed to asbestos. So they contacted the initial, the first home inspector, and they said, listen, you screwed up. We need you to help us make the repairs. We got a bill, and it says that the repairs are going to cost us $150,000. We just threw all our money into this house, and we can't make these repairs. And the home inspector said, listen, I did my best, and he offered them $1,000. So what do you think happens? They hire an attorney, and uh, they happen to hire our office. And we went through this with them, filed a lawsuit, and um, luckily for them, the home inspector did have insurance, but he was not a licensed home inspector. He was a commercial home, uh, commercial property inspector. 
He did not require a license. Over the course of his career, he had done less than three home private home inspections, and he admitted to missing all of these really major issues with, with the house. Fortunately, at the end of the day, they were able to resolve the case. The case settled. They were able to recoup the money that they needed to make the repairs, and it all worked out for them. But this was after a two-year struggle, and the emotion that these people went through, especially the wife, worrying about her, her, her kid, um, worrying about how they were going to pay for this house, realizing that there was no resale value, worrying that their insurance company would stop insuring the property because of the existence of the knob and tube. It was really traumatic, and it was something that although they recoup the money, they wouldn't wish it on anybody. So I, I tell you this because home inspection is not something that should be glossed over. It shouldn't it shouldn't be something that uh, you know your broker kind of poo-poos and, okay, this looks great. It's very serious. It is the only opportunity that you have prior to purchasing that property to understand what is right and what is wrong with the house. And it gives you an opportunity to make an educated decision as to whether or not you want to move forward. Don't skimp. Don't take the first inspector you find. Make sure you find out whether or not the inspector is licensed, certified, and insured. Ask for proof of insurance. Ask for his qualifications. Ask how many homes he has inspected in the last year. Do your due diligence, and it will save you a tremendous amount of pain, heartache, and money. All right, now I want to talk about uh, some recent news that's of interest. Um, in particular, I want to talk about um, a federal lawsuit in Virginia involving the ban on alcohol ads in college newspapers. Um, the idea behind this is that the school wanted to ban and students wanted to ban um, advertisements for, for alcohol. Obviously, it's a well-known fact that kids do drink when they're in college, and um, the plaintiffs believed that it really was inappropriate to advertise alcohol. I mean, you don't want kids to be drinking underage. There's a lot of obvious uh, issues that, that arise from that, both legal and you know, from a practical standpoint, being in an accident, being injured, that sort of thing. Uh, but interestingly enough, the federal court ruled that a ban on alcohol advertisements in college newspapers violated the First Amendment freedom of speech. Um, they analyzed it and they said that there was really no special uh, burden placed upon a college newspaper. It's a newspaper, it's a publication, and if they want to advertise and derive revenue from uh, alcohol ads, they can do it. Uh, it was an interesting argument, but that they finally reasoned, you know, that by barring the papers from advertising to legal drinkers, uh, the alcohol control board would would be violating the, the First Amendment. So it, it's a very interesting issue, but um, it seems that this is going to set a precedent throughout the country concerning the use or uh, ability to advertise alcoholic beverages in college newspapers. Another interesting issue is 
uh, a story that has come out of New Jersey. Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, the football team, their co-owner, well, it's a series of co-owners, was recently assessed $84 million in damages. Uh, It's a real estate deal gone bad, and essentially uh, the co-owners of the Vikings had entered into a partnership agreement for the development of a 764-unit apartment complex in Montville, New Jersey. And as the the project um, moved forward, they eventually cut out one of the partners, and they hid money, um, didn't disclose certain information to this person, said that the person wasn't really uh, contributing, but they didn't do it in in a legal way. They didn't disband the partnership. They didn't reach some sort of resolution. They just essentially withheld money that under the legal partnership agreement, the partner would have been entitled to. Uh, So they were awarded and ordered to pay $19.2 million in compensatory damages, $36.8 million in punitive damages. There were allegations of fraud, racketeering, breach of contract, and violations of the New Jersey Uniform Partnership Act. Uh, And in addition to those two fees, because if you're doing the math, it doesn't add up to $85 million, uh, or $84 million, I should say. They were ordered to pay $28.6 million in prejudgment interest. This is interesting because prejudgment interest is something that most states allow you to tack on when a lawsuit is decided in your favor. So if you've sued somebody, you're allowed to include prejudgment interest, and that is calculated from the date of the incident all the way through to the conclusion. So you can see here $28.6 million in prejudgment interest is a significant amount of money. It also highlights the uh, impact of dealing with a partnership on an improper manner, in an improper manner. All states have some sort of partnership uh, rules, and uh, in this, you know, obviously in New Jersey, it's a Uniform Partnership Act. But it is important to make sure that you seek legal representation when you're trying to resolve a partnership issue. You cannot just cut them out arbitrarily or even uh, based upon a vote from the other partners. You need to do it in a proper and legal manner. Another interesting uh, issue that's developed is that the New Jersey courts are considering pretrial intervention for criminal defendants who are convicted Pre-trial intervention is a program whereby a, um, a person found to have committed a crime will accept this pre-trial program um, in lieu of proceeding with, with a trial. And it requires certain things. It, it depends on the nature of the crime and how many instances of criminal activity you've had prior to this as to whether or not you're eligible. But the idea is that before you go to a trial, you can work through this pretrial intervention and then ultimately get on to probation and put the whole thing behind you. Uh, This is an interesting turn of events because typically pretrial intervention doesn't fit with a uh, a post-trial conviction. But the courts are looking to see if it would be an economical um, and practical opportunity to 
allow some sort of, obviously it wouldn't be called pretrial intervention, but some form of it to those defendants who have been uh, convicted in the trial. Uh, we're running out of time. I just want to let you know about a couple uh, charitable events that are coming up this Sunday, September 29th, in Ridgewood, New Jersey, the Congenital Heart Defect uh, Foundation is having their annual awareness walk. And uh, so it's a very, very important thing. It helps children with congenital heart disease and heart defects. And you can go to their website, uh, which is chd.com, and you can donate. It's not too late to sponsor a team or to donate. The other thing I want to make you aware of is that coming up in August, uh, I'm sorry, October, on October 9th, there's the Unite Against Bullying campaign, and you can go to our website and uh, see information about that. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next week with more legal and business news and updates. If you have any questions about any of the topics that we discussed today or you want to raise a topic for next time, please give us a call at 973-949-3770 or you can email us at info at Peter Lamont, that's P-E-T-E-R-L-A-M-O-N-T-E-S-Q dot com. Until next time, I want to thank you for joining us. And remember that there is power in understanding the law. An ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah. Where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.